0: When I moved to, um, to Lake Oconee, it's been about a year and a half, and I, I learned that I was now living in the land of Brer Rabbit. I decided I've got to read uh, Uncle Remus. So I got the book, and I'm reading through it, and it does not take long to size up the primary character of Brer Rabbit. He's crafty. He's got a chip on his shoulder. Indeed, as I'm reading through the stories, I've, I'm starting to develop sympathy for Burr Fox and Burr Bear. I mean, even though they want to eat him, there are a couple of times I I would have been satisfied if they had caught him. And when it got to the story of the tar baby, you know, there's I mean, I, there's some satisfaction to seeing him get his hands stuck and his feet stuck. It kind of felt... Good, if only for a little while. Now, if there is one trait of Jacob that stands out, it is his craftiness. He used that craftiness to obtain his his brother's birthright. And then later, with his mother, to steal his brother's blessing from their father. And we'll see even further on how he'll use that craftiness. And our chapter, though, here presents another fellow who is crafty in his own right, who will outfox Jacob. So I invite you to turn with me to Genesis 29. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 30. You are also welcome, if, if you, uh, you'll see an insert in your bulletin that has uh, the missions moment and, and others. And on the back of that, uh, you'll see the text as well. So let me begin reading in verse 1, Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone in the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well And water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. Then the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jacob, if you remember being sent to go to Haran, and he finally makes it safely there. You will recall the reason his mother, Rebecca arranges for him to be sent away just in a way that a wife can do to get the husband to think it's his idea so that the husband sends him away to go find a wife when in reality Rebecca is just protecting Jacob from Esau's wrath whom he has cheated twice now. So he comes to a well. He engages in a conversation with the shepherds. They gather for the purpose of watering their sheep. And he immediately seeks info about Laban, his mother's brother, in case you didn't catch that in the text. And now, who is head of the family? They make him aware of Rachel, who's on her way right now with the flock. And, and suddenly, he becomes interested in the shepherd's work so much that he advises them on what they ought to be doing, which is, go ahead and water your sheep and get out of here so I can conveniently be alone with Rachel. But, uh, but they don't take the hook. They remain. But the action moves forward as though they're not there. Jacob becomes this, this he-man. He, he rolls away the, the stone He waters Rachel's flock and just, I mean, just like a Hollywood movie, he then kisses the girl. Now, what's happening here? Well, Jacob has sized up the opportunity and he's making the most of, of how to make a good impression for the girl. From the moment Jacob was born and he was He comes out grabbing the heel of his brother Esau. Jacob has been one who's always acting to get ahead. How can he figure things out and get what he wants? I mean, even when the Lord God renews the promise that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and now for him. And he says, all of this is yours. Jacob, he still can't resist responding in terms of, you know, well, if you do this, basically what's best that he thinks is for himself. It is clear to him that for himself, he must act according to his own wits. That's what he's got. That's what he's got to depend upon. In contrast, Jacob, with another man at a well, Few weeks ago, indeed, we were looking at this. It was a servant of Abraham. The servant of Abraham had been sent by Abraham for that express purpose of finding a wife for his son Isaac, who is Jacob's father. That servant stops at a well, and he devises a plan for choosing the prospective bride by finding out who would do for him basically what Jacob just did for Rachel. Now, Rebekah, Jacob's mother, was the woman. That's a servant who also proved to be clever, but with a noticeable difference to Jacob, and that has to do with prayer. In that story, the servant prays humbly to God for success. And then when God answers his prayer, he immediately prays and gives God the glory. There's no reference here of Jacob doing the same. Even though on the very journey he is visited by God, he's still now just thinking about how he's got to figure it out. Now let's continue with the story verse 13. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Life is good for Jacob. His uncle expresses the the love and devotion of a family member. You're my bone and my flesh. He brings his nephew into his home and and Jacob apparently serves as a productive uh, member helping to take care of Laban's flocks. Laban wants to pay him. I mean this is great. And Jacob sees opportunity to get the beautiful woman whom he loves, so much so that working seven years is but just a few days. How lucky Jacob is to have such an uncle, soon to be his father-in-law, and no doubt, Jacob sees himself as both clever and a hard worker for what he is earning. Let's go on. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, that I may go in to her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, And he went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to, to give the younger before the firstborn. Com- complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his his female servant Bella, to be daughter uh, Rachel uh, to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Liam, and served Laban for another seven years. Well, the fox gets out fox, doesn't he? Laban unloads a daughter no one will marry, while getting another seven years of labor from his now son-in-law. Let me just first, before I go any further, say a word about what should have been regarded, actually, as a very insensitive remark. And that's about unloading a daughter. In that culture, though daughters might be be loved, their value lay in the bridal price that the father would get someday from the groom. And alas, Leah evidently did not possess the attribute of physical beauty, at least for what's considered beauty in that culture, and suitors were not lining up. Men of that culture were quite similar to men of today's culture, prizing outward beauty over inner beauty. Well, Jacob's no different. He wanted the beautiful Rachel. He got instead the plain Leah, and he is mad. He, Jacob, has been deceived How could anyone do such a thing? Especially his uncle, his own very bone and and flesh. How could someone do such a thing? I mean, isn't it a satisfying moment for anyone who appreciates poetic justice? Jacob, now you know what it feels like to be deceived. Deceived. Now you know how your father feels, how your brother feels. Well, actually, we don't know that Jacob ever entertained such a thought. If he does, we're not told. More is going to need to happen before we see any real change in this man whose very name means he cheats. Well, what then do we have to learn from this passage Is it um, get a good look at the woman you just married? Uh, Maybe check the references of your prospective father-in-law? I mean, well, there is at least one moral that we can take away from this story, and it is this, depend upon God, not yourself. You know, Jacob's Achilles heel was his strength. And that was the ability to outsmart the other guy. It is as Achilles heel because, as as Jacob woefully learns, sometimes the other guy does the outsmarting. And then what? Well, as far as Jacob is concerned, he's going to need to do a better job of outsmarting Laban, as we're going to see later. He still has not learned. Now, is it wrong... to to be smart and to to strategize how to obtain one's goal. Well, Well, of course not. I mean, a wise person thinks through his or her objectives and will plan accordingly how to obtain them. Normally, I'm about to give a football illustration, and I don't normally have a college football coach here to watch what I say, but I think he will agree with me. But the football coach who thinks that the only thing that matters for victory is that his players be good, moral guys, is going to be in big trouble come game day without a game plan. You've got you to strategize. Likewise, the business owner who thinks, well, as, as long as I'm just honest but doesn't give thought to, to marketing, likely will be closing doors after a brief run. Competition requires wise and clever planning. There's no problem with that. Maybe to get a better understanding of it, let's go back to Abraham's servant. There he was given a goal to achieve. He thought through how he was going to obtain that goal. Now, he too was clever with the plan that he came up with. But as we've already noted, there is a difference between his approach and, and that of Jacob's. The servant's plans were committed to the Lord, and he attributed the success to the Lord. Jacob, he just again seems to be relying on his own wits. Now, ironically, both men speak of the Lord giving success. The servant had uh, praised to God, and here is his prayer. Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So he's praying to God, "You, you give me the success." Jacob has the audacity not simply to deceive his father Isaac, but lying about how he supposedly Esau has brought game so quickly. And you know, Jacob said, "Well, gee, uh, how'd you?" Go out there and kill that beast and come back so quickly. Because the Lord your God granted me success. The audacity of it. It It is this insistence that I must take my destiny into my own hands, me alone. That is dangerous. It's dangerous in a practical reason just because we're likely to make mistakes. That's going to get us into trouble, particularly as we get puffed up with our pride and put all our confidence in how smart we are. But the greatest danger is spiritual. We keep saying, I, I've got this. I, I will figure out what to do. Now, those words sound like, the, like those of a confident person. But as long as those words exclude the Lord, they will inevitably lead that person off the path of following the Lord. Our plans must always be committed to the Lord. Our confidence for success must rest in the Lord giving that success. And our plans must always have as the ultimate goal the glory of the Lord. And let's think about that. What what glorifies God? What serves his purposes? See, those are the questions we are to be asking. And when we do, life becomes much simpler. It becomes simpler when we get our priorities straight. When we no longer have to to think in terms of how to make our way through this world, but rather, how are we to follow the way of the Lord through this world? What seems to be these, you know, really complex problems, they quite often become rather easy to, to solve when we think about what would the Lord want of me. So, for example, if I, if I approach my career as an opportunity to honor the Lord through honesty, through love of neighbor, through, through quality workmanship, such an approach it makes for fairly simple decisions. Yeah, tell the truth. Now, you don't have to figure out whether to lie or not, and if you're going to lie, what kind of lie to make, and if you make that lie, how to cover it up. I don't have to outsmart others to get ahead. I have to determine what honors God. And again, what honors God is, it's usually straightforward. And it's straightforward usually because God has much to say, about what he thinks is right and wrong in his word. Now again, don't get me wrong, creative, strategic thinking, even a competitive spirit, all of these things have their place and they can very much honor the Lord when done well and within the parameters of God's law of love for God and for neighbor. But again, we just don't have to bring on to ourselves the complex problem of cheating, of deceiving, as both Jacob and Laban thought What that's what's needed to make it in the real world. No, we just focus on what is right before the Lord, acknowledging that the success of any venture, it belongs to him to fulfill. And especially when that venture is part of God's bigger plan. And this is what we have to keep in mind, because we've been going week through week through these stories of the patriarchs. There's a bigger story at playing besides just trying to find a good wife in each of these stories. God had made the same promise to Jacob that he had made to Jacob's grandfather Abraham and to Jacob's father Isaac. That promise of this this blessing of redemption that's going to, as we know, eventually be fulfilled by God's own son, Jesus Christ. It's a blessing to be poured out upon Abraham's children, both Jew and Gentile. And so, all of the incidents in the patriarch's lives, in their way, they're playing a role in carrying out God's purposes. And so, God had purposed, he purposed that Abraham would be called. He calls him. He purposed that the promise would be passed through Abraham's son, Isaac, alone. And he took care of that. He determined that Jacob would be the son instrument for the promise to continue to the next generation. Now, at no point did God say this, that the promise would be fulfilled if... Well, if Abraham, if you could figure out Sharon's barren problem, how are we going to deal with that? Or if if Rebecca could hoodwink her husband Isaac, yeah, then my promise will continue on. Or if if Jacob, if he could just be crafty enough to get his way, then the promise will go to him. Now, if God adds an if to any promise, it is always the simple command of obedience. Think of the matter another way. God's promise of blessing to Abraham was fulfilled. It was fulfilled through the providential hand of God. And eventually to the faithful work of God the Son. It was never in danger of not being carried out. There's no point in which God is wringing his hand and saying, okay, I hope this is going to work, and if that takes place, fortunately, Jacob thought of what to do for me. That's not taking place. What then is the role of the patriarchs and everyone else through whom the promise is being passed down through the generations? For that matter, what's the role of us? who now are profiting from that blessing? Well, we good Presbyterians know the answer, don't we? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. We glorify God through obedience to his commands, whatever he tells us to do. We, We glorify God by our joy in obeying God. God's ends will be achieved. They don't depend upon our cleverness, our strength. They rest upon the wisdom of God, upon the work of God the Son, upon the power of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are also given work to do. And we're told that that we uh, are, are saved and God has prepared good works for us to do. But if we do the work, we do it not because God's purposes are going to fail, If we do not, but because the work itself, that's his privileged gift to us. That is the blessing. As David said in Psalm 40, verse 8, this is what we're to understand. I delight. I delight to do your will. And so for those who rest upon the work of Jesus Christ, such is our delight. For those who know that we have inherited the promise of eternal blessing, we've got it. It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for us, it's secure. We're not going to lose it. Such is our delight, then, to focus on doing the will of God. We don't need to cheat for it, this inheritance. We don't need to outwit anyone for it. All that is for us to do is to obey our God and take delight in him and his promise. Let's pray. We do take delight, our great God, in your promise. The promise that has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and we have received the salvation of our God. The promise that is still before us of our inheritance to being, uh, for us to come into when our Lord Jesus returns. It's there. Keep our eyes ever focused upon that hope and that hope alone. Give us that desire, the same desire that our Lord Jesus Christ had to do your will. And in his name we pray. Amen.